Amen. I was pausing to see if there was going to be a special. You know, I uh, I didn't pick up my order of service off the podium, so I was in the dark. <laughs> I was in the dark, but I was okay. <laughs> oh man. This evening, uh, I would like for us to turn, and we're going to go back and look at Ephesians, Ephesians, or we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We were there last Sunday night, uh, whenever we talked about, uh, you know, um, as far as the body or, uh, you know, the church and being unity. Uh, I just kind of want to bring out some things and and touch base on those a little bit because whenever I closed last night or last Sunday night, uh, you know, I I ask you to think about, uh, you know, are you teachable or are you correctable? Uh, you know, and whenever we think about this, I want you to kind of think through this process because we as Christians and as the body of Christ and as the church and talking about the unity in the church, it's asking us to do some really difficult things because if we look into Scripture and in studying the Scripture, we find that Jesus Christ died for, for, for who? Who did Jesus Christ die for? Huh? Well, he died for everybody, but Scripture tells us that he died for the church. Okay, and yes, we as individuals, we are the church. Okay, so yes, he died for each individual person, but more importantly, he died for the church because he knew that the church was his plan for spreading the gospel. Uh, that is how he was going to get the whole world to know about him and who he was and about his life. Now, I want you to know that there is no plan B, okay? He came up with plan A, and if plan A doesn't work, it doesn't work because of us, because we are unwilling to do what God is asking for us to do whenever it's talking about the body of Christ. So whenever we looked in verses 14 through, six, or 14 through 16, and it talked about us being unified, and it talked about us taking and us actually having to or not having to, but being the ones that's supposed to go by our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're supposed to help them to grow in Christ, and we're supposed to help them to grow into maturity so that we would love one another. Did you get that? That we grow into maturity so that we love one another. So whenever we're talking about helping our fellow Christians and helping them walk this life that God has called them to walk, we do it in love. We don't do it because we're better than they are. We don't do it so that we can show them that they're wrong. We do it out of love. And you remember, I talked to you and I said that, you know, that we are capable of being perfect, as in being perfect Christians, as in being able to live the life that God has called for us to live as Christians, right? 
Good, good. Because God took me to task this week in my studies. And he said, John, you ask them if you can be teachable or if they can be teachable. Let me check and see if you can be teachable. So let's look at this passage of Scripture, verses 17, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And in verses 17 through 24, I'm going to let y'all turn there. Y'all go ahead and look up to me whenever you get there. Uh, you know, we would do the Bible quiz or, or the, you know, the, Bible, the sword drill. Stand up whenever you're there, but I'm not going to make y'all stand up. Okay, so I've got a lot of eyes seeing, looking at me, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to begin reading this. And it says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopeless and confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far, or, yeah, they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for the lust, for the lustful pleasures, and the and they eagerly, oh my goodness, and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So I'm going to stop there because I'm going to walk you through this, okay? Because it tells us, it says that it wants us to live, or it wants them. Paul is saying, do not live any longer as Gentiles do. And then he goes and he says that Gentiles are hopeless and confused. We can say today that non-Christians are hopeless and confused. They have no hope and they're confused because they're searching for something that will generate some type of hope within their lives. Therefore, they are chasing anything and everything that would give them a glimpse, glimpse of hope Therefore, they're confused because they're after this one day and they're after this over here another day and then they're chasing after this another day. Okay, so they're confused because they don't really know where they're at, but they know that they have to have hope. They need something to keep them going. And then it says in verse 18, their minds are full of darkness. They wonder far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. I want us to look at this because whenever it's talking about this here, uh, you know, the darkness is what causes the, uh, you know, the hard-heartedness and the darkness is what causes, uh, you know, their minds to be closed. Uh, because whenever we see this, what has happened to the world and what's happened to the Gentiles that he's talking about here is, is that they believe they're walking in the light, but their eyes are so dark, their lives are so dark that they're confused because they think they're walking in the light, but they're walking in darkness. Therefore, they believe that they're right, and because they believe that they're right, they have hardened their hearts to what God is trying to show them or what Jesus is trying to show them as what is right. I pause because we as Christians, we get there. 
we get to the point, or we can get to the point, that we are leading or we are following a false teaching because in the scripture before, it says that they will tell lies that almost seem like truth. Satan got Adam and Eve to sin because it was almost the truth. So it tricks us so that we can walk down this path and we can get confused as far as where we're supposed to be going, what we're supposed to be doing, but yet we think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. There's a lot of churches that have fallen into the program that if we do this program, then we can grow. If we, did, if we do this program, we can get these people to come into the church. If we pray for divine moments in our lives, God will show up in our lives. And as a church, the Spirit will begin to move and it will create what a church needs to be healthy. Because if we are ourselves, ourselves are praying for God to to have this, you know, to show me a divine moment. God, show me this next step that you have for me to take. And we're praying it, and all of us are praying it. Then we're all seeking for the Holy Spirit to move within our lives. And if we're all seeking for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, He's going to move. And if we are then, like we're talking about tonight, if we are correctable, we hear the Word of God, and we hear what God is asking us to do, and we do it. So here we are. I talked to you about this, and I was, man, whew, I even talked to Peggy about this. I was really worried about this. Because I said that we can live a perfect life, that we can be a perfect Christian, and whenever I'm talking about being perfect, I want you to understand that what it is is that this is a perfect chair. It does exactly what this chair is designed for. It holds me whenever I sit in it. Now, if I get in it and I climb on the back of it and it falls apart or it falls over, I'm doing something that it's not designed to do. Therefore, it's not the chair's fault. It's my fault. The chair's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. There are times in our lives that God ministers to us and talks to us and we do exactly what God has designed for us to do. Therefore, we are perfect in that manner. But tonight it's talking about us being perfect as in holy perfect, as in a H-O-L-L-Y, perfect as in being perfection. We cannot and we will not ever be there as long as we're on this earth. And why is that? Because we have a corrupt body that the Holy Spirit is living within that has to be transformed. As long as we live in this body, we will not and we cannot be wholly perfect. There is always going to be this pull and this bent towards sin and towards our own desire as our fleshly nature. 
And that's what it's talking about. Yes, we can be a perfect Christian, but we will never ever be a perfect human being as in what Jesus Christ was until we die and our body is buried and we are raised again in a transformed body because this body is corrupt. But now that gets me a little bit further into this. Let's go on and let's continue to read because after it says that they can, you know, that they eagerly practice every kind of impurity, in verse 20 it says, But that isn't what you learned from Christ. So that is not what we have learned from Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitude, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So we are supposed to throw off the old and we are supposed to take on the new. Now I want you to grab a hold of this because we are not schizophrenics. We do not have the old nature, the sin nature that's living within us and the new nature of Jesus Christ or God living within us at the same time and they're battling. It doesn't happen. Whenever we receive Jesus Christ, he comes in and the old is gone. I'll give you this for instance. Larry kind of helped me out with this. Uh, you know, whenever I talked with the doctor, we were talking with the doctor uh, you know, about my dad's cancer. He helped me out with this because that is exactly like a cancer cell. Because whenever they put in chemo, chemo goes into your body. It does not clean the cancer off of that cell, and that cell remains there. That cell is literally destroyed. It is no longer a cell, period, let alone cancer. So whenever we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we get a new nature within us, and the old nature is gone. We talk about having compartments in our lives, and I, I have mentioned it a couple of times, and I have said that, uh, you know, allow God to remove that wall from in your life, as in our life and our body is a house, and we have these individual rooms. I even have a message that talks about the individual rooms and how whenever we first accept Christ, we kind of let him into our house, and he comes in, and we let him into the foyer. And we're like, okay, God, you're in, but the rest of this is mine. And he's like, no, 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 that's not the way that it works. I'm in, the whole house is mine. Are you going to allow me not to rearrange, but to tear it down and to rebuild? Because the old is gone, the new is now. It's not a remodel. It's a, it's a demo and a rebuild. It is brand new. There is none of the old that is left. So if that's the fact, why do I still sin? 
Why do I still sin? If the old nature is gone and I have the new in me, why do I still sin? It's the thing that's keeping us from holy perfection. It's our body. Scripture tells us that this body that we have on earth is not fit for eternity living. The body that we live in cannot exist in heaven. There is restrictions to this body. This body cannot handle what we're going to be doing in heaven. This body cannot handle what we're going to be doing in heaven. What are we going to be doing in heaven? Kelly talks about it all the time. We're going to be running the roads of gold and we're going to be shouting and we're going to be praising God. Whenever we say, I want to go to the other side of the galaxy, we're already going to be there. This body cannot handle it. Well, the body can't handle it because it's corrupt and it's sin. The only way that we can do that or that we get there is whenever we die. Because the body is buried and it comes up anew. A transformed heavenly body. I see some of y'all were really struggling with this. So let me give you some scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 55, it says the same way, it, it is the same way with the, re, with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly body bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but when we will be raised to live forever, our bodies are buried and broken but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They were buried in our, in, as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. They will not be the same body. Now, the transformation that we go through or that we make from the moment or whenever we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior is a whole lot different and a whole lot more difficult than it is for us to go from this life into heaven. Why is that so? Because once I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am an heir to the kingdom. I am adopted into the family of God. I am equipped with the spirit that belongs in heaven. So all we're going to be doing is getting rid of the shell. Getting rid of the only thing that's holding us back from being holy, perfect. Mm.
think I just turned two pages. Romans 6, 4. It says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. At the new birth, a person becomes a new creature. The old thing is passed away. Behold, new things have become. It's not simply a revised something or someone. It's a brand new someone that we become. See, it's these passages of Scripture that bring into account and fulfills the one that says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of him living within us. I like these passages of Scripture. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified in Christ, Paul said, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me, and the faith which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me crucified with Christ. Paul also talks about the fact that there are times that he does what he knows knows that he shouldn't do. The scripture says, I don't do what I know I should do. I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. And it gives us this understanding of the battle that's going on. But it's not a battle that's going on in between the new nature and the old nature. It's a battle that's going on in between the new nature and the body that it's living within. The corrupt body that it's there. Can I share this with you? I, and, and this is the thing that I really truly uh, you know, believe is that if we, as we continue in looking at this, that we will continue to have these battles and yes, we are victorious, but we still have to fight the battles. The victory's won, but we still have to fight the battles. We can't just throw up our hands and say, oh, whatever happens is going to happen because God's already won in the end. Well, what are we going to do in between now and then? We're supposed to be his hands and feet. We're supposed to be his glory bearers. We're supposed to help our fellow Christians to make it to the other end. To make it through this journey. We're not just simply sitting on the sidelines. 
I've said it once at least. I heard Dr. Mason say this, uh, you know, in one of the district assemblies that, we, that he did for us. And he, he said, I don't go to church for myself. I go to church for everybody around me. I go to church so that my son and my daughter understand how important the church is and how important God is. I go to church because the person that I'm going to be sitting next to in church might need my witness. See, there's a task for us to do, and in part of that task is us fighting this battle. The war that is going on within us. How do we, how do we win the battles? How do we win the battles? We win the battles by prayer. Remember, we, we, we talked about it by prayer, by the word of God, by testing, and by suffering, because we learn from those things. What do we learn? We learn to trust God. We learn the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We learn the ability that it gives us to be able to stand up against this corrupt body that we're in. And the stronger that we get in our faith, the less Satan is able to tempt us or the less this body is able to tempt us to do things that we know we should not be doing. But if we don't have that relationship with God, we don't pray to Him, we don't read His Word, we don't learn from the test and from the suffering that He takes us through, then we will continually be a weak Christian and we will continually stumble on the same things that we stumbled on from day one. There is things that we have to do to be able to fight this. Thank you. <laughs> because, see, that's difficult. Because what that's talking about is that every single Sunday or every single day that I get up, I say, God, what can you teach me today? Then I have to be willing to accept what he's teaching me. If I would have came across this passage of Scripture... And all of the theologians that I read said that this was talking about the same perfection that was, that was talked about in verses 14, 15, and 16, and that we're not able to reach them. I would have had to come back to you and say, hey, I've learned something. I did learn something. But I would have to tell you that I had learned something that I had talked about last week, and it's different. We have to be willing for God to teach us. 
There are things that we do today that we should not be doing, and we do them sometimes because we just don't know. A lot of times we do them just simply because we like them. It's easier that way. God, what you're asking me to do is difficult. I'm not too sure I'm into that. Are you willing that every time you open up Scripture for God to teach you something? And if he teaches you something that's different from what you knew yesterday... Are you willing to accept it? No, I got blinders on. The Church of the Nazarene believes this way. And I can't see anything else on the outside of it. Nazarenes aren't going to be the only ones in heaven. We have a pretty good hold on it. I really believe in our doctrine. I think our doctrine has, has a lot of things covered. But there's some things that it doesn't. There's some things that we have to be able to know and to learn on our own. We can't go on what my mother and father taught me. Because I can tell you where that will get us. I have a son that's married a young black lady. And you all know that my mother and father and my brother and sister do not accept that marriage. Because she's black. Because they go to a passage of scripture that whenever they were youth, whenever my father was in youth, They use this passage of Scripture to tell them, it's in the Old Testament, there is a brother that was cursed, and it said that he would always be, and all of his descendants would always be slaves to his other two brothers. And their preacher taught them that God touched that brother and turned him black. I see the faces. I'm kind of there with you. But this is what they were taught back in 1953 and 54. From the pulpit, they were preaching and teaching segregation. They were teaching this from the Bible, using God's Word to turn it against us. We have to read the things for ourselves and allow God to teach us what is right and what is wrong. We cannot just simply listen and take it from someone else's word. Because whenever we get this, whenever we truly get the fact that God's asking me to to pray this prayer 
God, show me a divine moment. Do y'all remember those divine moments? God, do you want me to pray? Or God, God, do you want me to tithe? God, do you want me to join this church? More mature Christians, just like what we did, it'll pledge for above your tithes. God, how much do you want me to give above my tithes? These are divine moments that God, that through the Holy Spirit, is leading us through. Leading us to. God, do you want me to teach a Sunday school class? God, show me where you want me to go. Be a part of my life. We are asking for the Holy Spirit to direct us. And as we ask that, as a church, as we begin to ask those things, and we ask specifically for these things, then the Holy Spirit begins to move. But then we have to grab a hold to the understanding and the aspect that whenever the Holy Spirit moves, there's going to be pain because whenever the Holy Spirit moves, I'm being transformed from who I used to be into who I need to be. So there's going to be a pain. There's going to be problems that's there. Am I willing to accept that and to do what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do? I don't know. I, you know, I hope that every single one of you desperately prayed for God to lead you and direct you in how much extra to give on your tithes and offerings. And I hope that you listened to the Holy Spirit's moving. And whenever you wrote it down, there was pain. That was going to be involved in the number that you wrote down. Because I, I have to miss two Starbucks a week to be able to make this. I'm just, I really don't go to Starbucks. I, I'm just, just using that. Maybe I don't go out to eat on Sunday afternoons. Maybe I go home and eat what's in the refrigerator. It's going to cause something. It's going to cause some type of pain. We're going to have to give up something because he is trying to transform us into the person that he needs for us to be. If God's calling you to join the prison ministry, That's one Saturday a month. That's nothing. Yeah, okay. Wait until it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon and it's about 65 and it's perfect motorcycle riding weather. I've committed to the prison ministry. So I do the prison ministry. What if I'm tired? God, I, I've really, I've had this real long week. I've had to work seven days this week. I've had, yeah. I need a break. I, I, I want to spend time with, with my wife. 
you're called to the prison ministry. But let's go back to the battle. You remember the battle in 2 Chronicles last week that we talked about? That the Israelites didn't even have to fight? And whenever they got down to the valley and they saw all those dead bodies, there was three days of plunder. If you give it up, God will bless it. If it's what he calls you to do, he will bless it. Scripture tells us that if we tithe or if we give money to the church, if we give money to God, that he will give it back to us. Multiply. He says, test me on this. Can I give you a hint? If you give it to see if he's going to multiply it, you've given it for the wrong reason and he's not going to multiply it. I'm just saying, if you give it because the Holy Spirit led you to give it, he's going to multiply it. As Christians, as the church, we are called to do and to be these things. Because we are called to be the gospel of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. And we cannot do it the same way that we are today. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. To transform our lives. Let's stand for dismissal. I thought I brought my bulletin for announcements. Heritage Quartet tomorrow night, or not tomorrow night, (laughs) next Sunday, so it's not this coming Sunday? Yeah, okay. (laughs) This coming Sunday, Heritage Quartet, okay, Uh, this coming Sunday morning, Alabaster Offering. Please don't forget, Alabaster Offering, this coming Sunday, so we have that. Also, Thursday, we have our <clears throat> love, share love, share the love. I forgot the V, I got the V, share the love. There will be daycare, wait a minute, there will be nursery, child care, yeah. okay, card ministry, today was, was it, we can't sign up now, okay. You can pay until Wednesday. Okay. All right. Card ministry is tomorrow night. Okay. And that's at 6.30. Hour of power of prayer is Tuesday night at 7.14. There again, 22nd, February the 22nd. That is this coming Friday. That's the bowling meeting at uh, Strikers. 
I was thinking to call it lucky strikes. <laughs> if we get a strike, it is lucky. And that meeting starts at 7. Okay. 7. 7. 7. Okay. Meetings at 7. This is all new bowlers, all old bowlers. 7 o'clock. That's this Friday. Okay. And Saturday is prison ministry. Saturday is prison ministry. That, that is something to do every single day, right? Except for Saturday. No, Saturday. And we got Sunday. So praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads for dismissal. I am tired from just the announcements. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. And God, I pray that your face would shine upon us and that your blessings from heaven will be poured out on each person that is here.